I want to invite you this evening to turn with me in God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 5 this evening. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we'll read God's Word under the heading of The Church's Humility in Suffering. The Church's Humility in Suffering. 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's where we'll end God's reading this morning, may, this evening. May His blessing be upon it. Beloved congregation, we have been very blessed in the United States to live in a time of relative peace for the Christian church. For the most part, we have little fear of someone coming into this building seeking to take our lives. Though we take proper precautions and we are thankful for the emergency response team, by God's grace, this is something we have yet to experience to a large scale in the United States. We also have the great privilege of being able to confess Christ's name. We can confess His name in our workplaces. We can confess Christ's name in our places of recreation and we don't have to have any fear of legal consequence. And most importantly, we can worship our God publicly. We can worship our God privately in this nation. Yet we should also recognize this evening that this has not been the experience of the universal church. The church across all lands and in all times has not endured this blessing. As we are reminded each Lord's Day evening, there are many Christians today who are still yet suffering for their Christian faith. And even as time progresses here in the United States of America, we're beginning to feel that pinch, aren't we? We feel the pinch. We feel restricted in our Christian faith, sometimes on our university campuses, in our cities, and maybe even our workplaces. You see, Simon Peter is addressing Christians in this epistle who are living in a hostile world, a world that is hostile to the faith of Christians. The people to whom he is writing this epistle to, over and over again, he says, they are suffering for their Christian faith. 
Chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, 2, 19 through 23, 3, 13 through 17, 4, verse 19, 5, 9 through 10. Suffering, suffering, suffering for their Christian faith. Now, we don't know to what extent they were suffering persecution. We know that it exists somewhere between possibly verbal persecution all the way to the point where it's not yet but it will, as we know in church history, in suffering from Christians being executed as criminals. Whatever the case may be in this church in Asia Minor, we know that they're suffering. Suffering for loving the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet the epistle of 1 Peter is commonly referred to as the epistle of hope. Peter wants to encourage his readers to hope in the Lord despite the persecutions that they face. God has caused them to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the hope of a believer, says Peter, is not that all things would go well for us. The hope of a believer is not that we would have blessings, The hope of a believer is that Christ has come. That Christ has been judged. That Christ has been resurrected. And because of His work, we are not guilty. In fact, we are to keep our eyes on Christ, says Peter. Because when Christ comes again, His glory will be manifest. Believers will receive the unfading crown of glory. And we are to live our lives in light of that goal. Of that hope. On the last day, persecution will cease. The believer's hope will be fulfilled and God's dominion will be made manifest forever and ever. But in this passage, he is addressing the church. How we are to have humility, especially in pressing times. I want to show you this theme this evening that Christ was humble in suffering. And so the church must practice humility towards one another. Since Christ was humble in suffering, the church must practice humility towards one another. I'm going to amend the points that are found in your bulletin just a little bit. I want to show you a first point. Peter seeks to encourage the elders in verse 1. And then he gives a shepherd's job description in verses 2-4. through And then the exhortation to the youth. But he encouraged the elders. He gives a job description and then an exhortation to the youth. But the first thing we see in verses 1 is he starts with encouraging the elders. The church is suffering. They're afraid afraid of impending persecution. And Peter here seems to take an excursus from chapter 4 where he's talking about how to live in light of this persecution, being stewards of God's grace, living in a Gentile world, suffering as a Christian, and then he seems to take a five-verse break at the beginning of chapter 5 and then launch right back into suffering. But this isn't an accident this evening, dear congregation. You see, it's strong leadership. It's faithful followers. It's humility that's needed to keep the Christian church strong in times 
persecution and trying times. Notice what he says in verse 1. I exhort the elders among you. He wants to encourage the elders of a battered and a bruised church. Now Peter didn't plant these churches. It's unlikely that he's even preached at these churches. But notice that he knows enough about the Christian church that he assumes the office of elder within that church. He doesn't refer to a clerical rank that rules the church or bishops of the diocese or archbishops or a pope. No, he refers to the church that is to be governed by ministers of the Word and sacrament. Together with the elders. You see, congregation, some of us may not know what elders are. I grew up in a church in the Free Methodist Church of Canada, we did not have elders. Maybe some of you grew up in Baptist churches without elders where you just have deacons. What a church I grew up in had what was called the Board of Governors. It was an elected office, but it wasn't an ordained office. What is an elder? Well, an elder, of course, finds its origin in the Old Testament. There were older male members of the community who would serve as de facto leaders. And then as Israel as a nation begins to dissipate, the office of elder was said to continue. You see this in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. These were Christian men, says the New Testament, who were uniquely called and uniquely equipped to lead the flock, but also to be an example to the flock. He encourages them, he wants to encourage them to continue to be leaders, even in an age and a time of persecution. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now, if we were going through the epistle of 1 Peter in our church, you might say, Well, wait a minute. Peter isn't an elder. He says in chapter 1, verse 1, that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why is He calling Himself an elder? But throughout the New Testament, this term fellow is actually a means of displaying collegiality. Of displaying sympathy with somebody else. The Apostle Paul uses this quite a bit where he calls himself a fellow worker. A fellow soldier. A fellow slave. A fellow prisoner. It's an expression of empathy, not authority. He is speaking to these men as brothers, not in an authoritarian way. And look what he says. He says, not only am I a fellow elder, but I'm a fellow witness. Now, witness is an interesting word. If we read it very quickly, we might think he's saying that he was a witness to the sufferings of Christ upon the cross. But we know from Mark 14, verses 27 and 50, that Peter was not present when Christ was crucified. He, along with the other nine disciples, abandoned the Lord at His death. How can, how can the Apostle Peter say he was a witness to the suffering of Christ? You see, being, you can be a witness in two ways, can't you? You can be a witness of something but you can also be a witness to something. 
See, even for us today, it is proper to say that we are witnesses to the suffering of Christ. Not because we've seen Christ on the cross or had a vision of His sufferings, but because we are witnesses to the suffering of Christ by faith through the preaching of the Gospel. Isn't it true, beloved, that by faith, in a very real sense, it's almost as if we can see the whips. By faith, we can hear the nails being pounded into the wood. And in our hearts, we really truly know the sufferings of Christ. And if Christ, the greatest among us, was so humble and so willing to endure suffering, surely we can endure suffering in this life as well. Not only is He a fellow elder, a fellow witness, but He's also a fellow partaker. He says, in the glory to be revealed. See, just one chapter earlier, the Apostle outlined that if we endure sufferings with Christ, we will also be participants in His glory. Peter is encouraging the elders of the flock. Peter is encouraging those who are suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm suffering with you. But suffering for Christ is worth it when we consider the glory that awaits us in Christ. Beloved, it's not just a future reality. Peter considers himself as somebody who is already a partaker in the glory to be revealed. That is because of Christ's resurrection from the dead, we have a living hope. And Christ has been placed at the right hand of God and has sent us the Spirit who fills us with new life. He wants to encourage the elders of this church. He's a fellow elder. He's sympathetic with them. He's a fellow witness and will be a fellow partaker in the glory to come in Christ. Beloved, a word of application this evening. We need elders. In the consistory and in the classes, we need lay elders. Elders bring a unique perspective and a unique viewpoint to the matters that the church is addressing. Good elders help a minister stay grounded. Good elders keep the people before the minister's eyes. As my seminary professor, Dr. Strange, pointed out to me once, one, the, the restoration of elders in the church was one of the great reformational principles. To take the authority of the church, the keys of the kingdom, from the clerical classes, from the Pope, and restore it back to the people of God. Back to the church of God. Something the reformers fought so hard against was to restore the keys of the kingdom to the people of God. Our elders are not optional. We need these dear brothers. Look at the job description that the Apostle Peter gives them. It's not a low calling. It's a mighty calling. A high calling that they are called to. Look at the people who they have to shepherd. Verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God. 
God is often described in the Old Testament as a shepherd. In Jeremiah 23, He calls Israel, My flock. Of course, you all know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus Himself says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The elders are charged with keeping watch over the flock, but it's not just a flock of sheep, is it? This is the flock of God. The flock belongs to God. And notice that this work, they're not going to get rich off this work, are they? The first aspect of a shepherding, a shepherd's job is that they are to do their work voluntarily. That is, not under compulsion, says the ESV text. Sometimes, isn't it true, dear congregation, that we as Christians can do something because we think that's what's expected of us? We might say things like this in our Reformed churches, I'm 18 and therefore I must do profession of faith because that's what's expected of me. Or we'll say something like, I need to get married because I am blank age and that's what's accepted of me. Expected of me. Likewise, sometimes elders or deacons or others might feel the temptation, I must serve in an office because that's what's expected of me. But the Apostle Peter reminds us that it is what is done willingly that pleases God. Elders are not called into their office simply because of their age. And as if that is what qualified them to be a leader. No, but they are called to serve God with a willing heart. You know, in the ancient Jewish world, the volunteer was a person who is said to have placed themselves at God's disposal. To be called a volunteer meant to be totally at the disposal of God. If you have a Bible, flip with me quickly to Judges chapter 5. Judges 5 verse 2, and we see this put on display. We see this idea of volunteering for military service. It says that in, at 5 verse 2 that the leaders took the lead in Israel and that the people offered themselves willingly, voluntarily, bless the Lord. Or you see this also in Psalm, we won't look at it, 54 verse 6, and regarding sacrifice, voluntary sacrifices. Likewise, Christian elders are to be people who are volunteers, who are willingly serving the Lord. This should make us sympathetic to the work of the ministry. Speaking from personal experience, I've seen how challenging the work of an elder can be. There is great stress that can be involved in shepherding. Often the work of an elder is done after a long day of work in their vocation. A work of an elder requires great sacrifice, requires great energy, can sometimes rob us of good sleep. 
And on top of this, the people to whom Peter is writing lived in the ancient world that was full of dangers for people in the Christian faith. All of this could make eldering a burden, but shepherds are called to mimic and to imitate God. Which is willingly. For God does nothing under compulsion, but He cares for His flock by His grace. Notice that second aspect of the job description as he says that they're not to do it for shameful gain. And unfortunately, this has been the downfall of many shepherds, many people who have been called to the office of elder or pastor or deacon. The greed and lust for power trips us up. Let us be clear this evening. God's ministry, the work of shepherding the flock of God, is not a business. We are not here to get rich off of one another, are we? No, instead we are called to share one, another bur- one another's burdens. We see that in the early church that their ministry together was the sharing of the funds amongst one another. Caring for one another. Not me trying to get something out of you but in service to one another. I'll give you an example of this. Once when I was in the RCA, as many of you know, I served in the RCA as an interim pastor for four and a half years in Ontario. And Lisa may may remember this story, but once I was offered a sales job, which in all honesty would have paid a lot more than the pastorate, and the person suggested that I stay on as a preacher and try to get my congregation to buy this product. And I remember telling this man, you don't pursue the ministry. You don't shepherd the flock for your own gain. This is for the glory of God. Instead, Peter says that elders are to serve with eagerness. To serve with zeal and energy and enthusiasm for the job that God has placed before them. But the third and the most challenging aspect of the shepherd's job description is that they are called to be men of humility. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. There is some aspect to the office. When you're installed into an office here, even in the Christian church, there is an aspect that you are given some measure of authority. But when Christ came to earth, and He was anointed in Luke 4 as the Christ, chief prophet, king and priest, Lord Jesus, brothers and sisters, did He not teach an alternative way of leadership. He came to earth and he says to his disciples, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. Shepherds are not to use their authority to lord over others, but to serve those in their charge. Now, a very important word in this passage is that word charge. 
in the Greek, kleron. Literally means serve those who are your share, your portion of the flock of God. You see, brothers and sisters, when Peter is speaking about the flock, he's not referring to only one congregation. He's actually referring to all of the congregations, the whole of the flock of God throughout the world. But the flip side of that is that shares are, or portions are part of the universal flock that are assigned to various congregations. This ought to remind us this evening that every member who belongs to this Christian church has been allotted, has been given to this church by God. You are not here by accident. You are here by God's gracious design. What this also means, continuing on, is that the church is not built by a pastor. A church is not built by elders or members. The church is built by Christ. And likewise, the people who are not here, this is the part that hurts, the people who are not here are also not here by God's design. Isn't it true, dear congregation, we can become unhealthily focused on empty pews. We can become focused on the people who are not in church, forgetting the fact that it's God who builds the church and the people who are here are here by His gracious appointment. He is the one who grows the church. He is the one who adds and subtracts to the church. And this church will only exist as long as God is pleased to keep this church here. Humility and absolute dependence upon God for His blessing upon the congregation are essential components to godly ministry. To godly shepherding. Of course, we are sinners. Pastors, elders, deacons, like every one of us, falls short. But what we have been called to do, speaking as somebody who's studying for the ministry, what the elders have been called to do is we have been called to imitate Christ. Christ, says Peter in chapter 2, verse 21 through 23, is the model for all Christians. Christ, says he in 2.25, is the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Christ in 5, verse 4, he is the chief shepherd. He is the one who the elders, who the minister, who the deacons, and we'll see in verse 5, you as well, dear congregation, are called to imitate. If the ministry, even if Christianity is so challenging, you hear about it all the time. Pastors struggling. Burnt out. Falling into temptation. Elders excited to get out of the eldership. Why would we want to do this? 
Look at verse 4. When Christ, the chief shepherd, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter, earlier in this book, he refers to Christ as the shepherd, 2.25. But now he calls Christ the chief shepherd. Referring to the fact that Christ is the one who calls and commissions under shepherds to serve him in the church. As I mentioned, shepherding is challenging. It can be difficult, especially in a time of persecution. And Peter himself knows this better than anyone, doesn't he? Peter was one of the men who saw Jesus transfigured on the mount. Peter, one of the closest disciples of Jesus Christ. Peter, the one whom Christ said, upon your confession, I will build my church. Who in the time of great pressure, in the time of great tribulation, three times denied his Savior and his Lord. I do not know him. I do not know him. I do not know the man. After the death of Christ, Peter considers himself disqualified from shepherding. Even though Christ said he would rise from the grave rather than going into the world and proclaiming the resurrection of the Savior, what does he do? He goes back to his fishing. But, P- but Jesus Christ on the shores of the Tiberias calls Peter unto himself. And what does he say in John 29? You know it well. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The elders do their work because they have been called and commissioned by Christ to do the work. And the elders' most important work is to point the congregation to Christ. The chief shepherd will come again and he will divide the sheep from the goats, but an elder who labors faithfully unto the Lord will receive an unfading crown of glory. In the ancient games of the victor, a military victor, in the games a victor would receive a crown of garland, of basil, and other different greenery in the ancient world, but as you know, if you have a garden, it doesn't take long in the scorching sun for those things to fade, to die with the heat. They pass away within a few days and are gone forever. But look at what the elder who labors faithfully will receive. He will receive an unfading crown of glory. A glory that will never go out. Dear congregation, we need to pray for our elders, don't we? Pray for our pastors. Pray for our deacons. But not only that, we need to love our elders. We need to encourage them, to honor them, to faithfully submit to them in the Lord. For what Christ may have called them to is a challenging call. 
A call that has many obstacles. A call that Satan doesn't want them to serve their office faithfully in. But it's Christ who calls. Can we be faithful members? That's the exhortation to the youth in verse 5. He says, we'll look back at 1 Peter 5. He says to the congregation there, after encouraging the elders, likewise you who are younger, be subject to the elders. We'll end our reading there. Now, I imagine our youth this evening are squirming in their pews a little bit as the focus turns from the elder and turns to the youth. And it's true that the Apostle does mention youth specifically, but I believe he's actually doing, using a play on words here. You see, if the office bearers of the church government are called elders, what does that make you and I? Everyone who's not an elder, not ordained and installed into this office, becomes the younger. Now he appeals to the whole congregation. He says that later. Clothe all of you. What is our responsibility to our elders? What is our responsibility to the church? So the Apostle Peter encourages the whole congregation, be subject to the elders who are providing that eager and model leadership. This term, be subject, is used actually quite a few times throughout the New Testament and it refers to people being submissive. It refers to people being imitators. And respectful slaves to masters for example wives to husbands christians attitude towards human institutions it denotes a proper respect for authority and experience the apostle peter encourages us as congregants as congregants to have humility towards our elders but not only this we're to be humble towards one another clothe yourselves all of you with humility towards one another this isn't referring only to the offices but to everyone who's a believer everyone is to exhibit humility towards one another and that term clothe yourself possibly could refer to a slave who would put on an apron or a servant who would put on a apron to do some menial work. We're to serve one another even as a servant might serve their master. And an employee might, insert, might serve their employer. It's a striking image, but I can't help but recall Jesus putting on an apron. Wrapping a towel around His waist to wash the feet of His disciples as the ultimate act of humility. This is the humility that we are called to model in the Christian church. And why are we called to do it? Peter quotes the Proverbs. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Dear congregation, is there anything more detrimental to the Christian church than pride. See, people who are proud, in the ancient Hebrew and Proverbs, it actually refers to mockers. 
they inevitably think of themselves as strong and superior and look down upon those whom they judge to be weak and insignificant. In the world, to be strong, to be mighty, to be proud is to be successful. Humility, according to the ancient Greek and the Greek Greco-Roman society, was a slave mentality. Why would you be humble, abased, a servant of one another? That is not unworthy of a free citizen. But Peter's audience is not to regard themselves as citizens of Rome, but as citizens of a different kingdom. One commentator says and summarizes it so well, true humility as opposed to a contrived, self-degrading humiliation, flows from recognizing one's complete dependence upon God and is expressed by the acceptance of one's role and position in God's economy. With such humility, one is freed from attempts to gain more power or prestige. Instead, humility expresses itself in the willingness to serve others even beyond our own self-interest. Close quote. Who has done this? I have no doubt that as Peter is writing these words, the image that is in his mind is Christ's humility to him, a disciple. Christ called him to serve him. Christ, the King of glory. Christ, the Prince of heaven. But it was Christ who served Peter all the days of his ministry. Though the humble are little in the eyes of the world, Peter is saying the humble are much in the eyes of God. God makes them to be recipients of grace. That's that final comment. God gives grace to the humble. That means though they are not in favor of the world, though they're not in the good books of the world, though they are not proud or strong in the eyes of the world, God gives them grace. He gives them the forgiveness of sins and liberates them from death and hell. In conclusion this evening, my dear friends, The church has historically experienced derision, persecution, and trials for their faith. But we have great hope in Jesus Christ. He has prepared His church for glory in heaven. The elders are said to receive an unfading crown of glory. Unlike the victor garlands of the ancient games, their glory will never fade. But Peter says if we are humble towards our elders, humble towards one another, just as Christ is humble towards us, we will share in this honor. You don't need to be an elder to receive this glory. That we too as Christian people will be participants in this glory. But not by the works of our own hands. But by the grace of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father,
we do give you thanks for your Son. And how even though this world despises Him and mocks Him, and us as well because we are associated with Him, because we claim His name, Lord, we know that we will receive a glory beyond what we can ever even imagine. We thank You, Lord, for the men who shepherd us in this congregation unto that glory, who have done faithful work, who have heeded God's call to serve this congregation. Lord, we ask Your blessing upon them. We also pray for each and every one of us who have been called to the general office of believer that, Lord, You might bless them as well. Lord, we endure sufferings, though not to the extent of this ancient church. Lord, help us to be humble even in our suffering. We might serve our elders, that we might be united in the faith, and that as Satan seeks to put the pressure upon us, Lord, we would look unto Christ, the chief shepherd, knowing that there is an eternal weight of glory for us in heaven. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.